1 Thessalonians 2 For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we'd suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation didn't come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you'd become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which also also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. They don't please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoured more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. We think that the letter to the Thessalonians, this first letter, and some people would even say the second letter comes before the first, although there's not strong evidence for that. But we think that the letter to the Thessalonians is one of Paul's earliest letters. So there is a simplicity and an enthusiasm in what he's writing. 
Now, in 1 Thessalonians, I suggested that we have a church in Thessalonica that is apostolic, comes after receiving the message of these great missionaries of God, these sent ones of God. Um, it's created by the gospel. It's apostolic. It's a gospel church. In other words, it, there's an enthusiasm for God's goodness in Jesus and an understanding of the forgiveness of sins by the, uh, by the cross. And the, it's a church that was born in affliction, but it's a prayerful church and it is exemplary to others. In, in other words, it, if you like, it's an agape church, apostolic, gospel church, created in affliction, prayerful and exemplary. Well, now there are some general comments to make about the letter, the first letter to the Thessalonians. One is that in reviewing the past, we have a reminder of how God works and why he works. A letter from absent people, the absent apostle, reminds the church that they're in his heart. He's thinking about them. And as he thinks about them, so God is aware of them in Christ. And there's a sense of what now? What what now? Now that the church has taken on the message of the gospel, what now? What happens next? This helps us really to contextualize any church plant because we're thinking, well, here the gospel has been received by people, but what now? How does it continue from there? Now, there are also some specific things uh, for the people in the Thessalonican church. One of them is that some people have died. What happens to those who die in Christ? How do we make sense of death? And then it's natural to think that there are going to be some threats to the church. Now that the church has been birthed, there will be threats from outside. And there will also be threats from inside. And there's a Trinitarian uh, viewpoint about this letter, which is really helpful, beginning with the gospel of God and talking about the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and then who has given us his Holy Spirit, God who has given us his Holy Spirit. So there's Father, Son, and spirit, and each of them are mentioned as obviously being separate in their um, in 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 their uh, in their characteristics, but being one in their character and their nature. And so, this is an early sign, of course, that the church was clear: Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. So those are, I suppose, some opening remarks. But we're looking at chapter 2. And you can hear some, uh, some um, notes in Paul's music, can't you? You can, you can hear that his voice is one of great compassion and tenderness and enthusiasm 
not just for the work of the gospel, not just for his job as a, as a minister of the gospel, but for the people to whom he is ministering. In fact, in one point it says, we wanted to share ourselves with you. And the, the music here is the music of love. And the language is, is the language of love. It's a love that comes from being in Christ, engaged with one another in the work of the church, the glory and the joy that is the church. Paul begins chapter 2 by saying, and we'll, we'll look at this in, I think, in three sections. First, Paul says, we write from distance. Second, we thank God. And third, and we want to be with you. We write from distance. We thank God. And we want to be with you. Well, the first section is by far the longest from verse 1 to verse 12. Paul says, we write from distance, but remember the birth of the church. We came through affliction, if you like. We came through the fire and, and we did it together. Now, Paul uses the, the pronoun we, meaning, of course, Paul, Silas or Silvanus and Timothy, the three of them working together. But of course, it's Paul's letter. And he is, uh, and he's writing from from knowing that he cannot easily get to the Thessalonican church, whereas Timothy himself has certainly been there and ministered to them. We came through affliction. He reminds them of this while well, they were chucked out of Philippi. Now Philippi by all accounts, was both success and, and great suffering. You know, the success of meeting Lydia, uh, who opened a household and a heart to the gospel and, and invited the, the, the three of them in. Uh, and then, of course, imprisonment followed in Philippi. Jail and violence. And eventually, they're kicked out. And as they're kicked out of Philippi, they come to Thessalonica and for three Sabbaths, Paul and, and, and the others are, are preaching in the synagogue, in the gathering of the Jews. And there is a great number of people. We read about this in Acts chapter 17. Jews uh, in great numbers, presumably from all the Greek backgrounds, the Greek speaking backgrounds. But in great numbers, they come to Christ. But soon uh, the poor guy who's looking after Paul and Silas and Timothy, uh, his name is Jason, he opens his house to them and they, the, the Jews who are not um, part of the, the, the early church, the, the ones who become enemies of the gospel and who follow Paul around trying to get him, you know, thrown out of, of, of all the cities, they come to the, uh, to the governor 
the governor comes to Jason and his household. They, they look for Paul. They don't find him there. But they pretty much say to Jason, you're not only going to pay money uh, that, that suggests you will not have, you, you'll not create a stir by having these people here, but we don't want you to have them either. And so they actually get kicked out of Thessalonica. And Paul ends up in Athens, which is suffering for him himself because the people of Athens feel he's, you know, they're, they're t- rather superior. So they don't really adopt the gospel with joy and, and thanksgiving. But, um, but he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. And there, there is obviously lasting fruit in Thessalonica. He came through affliction, says Paul, and we were approved by God and not by trickery. Now, how do we know if somebody is approved by God to the task that they're doing? Well, part of it comes in, in their behavior. And as a, as a missionary, as, a, as a, a, a preacher of the gospel, Paul is keen to say, we were bold. Despite the opposition that we'd faced in Philippi, we came in boldness knowing, presumably, that this could all happen again. That's in verse 2. Now, I don't know if you follow um, the latest thoughts about uh, about how uh, trauma affects people, but it seems clear to me, and I, I, I'm not an expert on this, but it seems clear to me that when somebody is traumatized, it makes going back into a similar situation extremely difficult. And Paul and Silas, having been imprisoned in Philippi, having been beaten in Philippi, they nonetheless go to Thessalonica, knowing that they might have to have that experience again. There's a series called Band of Brothers, in which, uh, which follows a... Uh, a, a platoon of um, paratroopers, American paratroopers in Europe in the Second World War, and one of them fakes uh, blindness because he's afraid of dying. And, and his one of his officers comes to him and says, "Look, the trouble with you is you you believe, you you hope that you're going to survive this war." He says, "I I gave that up a long time ago." And he regards himself as a dead man. And in a way, this boldness of Paul is he and Silas coming to Thessalonica and and Timothy, coming there knowing that they will face the same thing again and pretty much saying, but that's okay. We regard ourselves, if you like, as dead men because because of the joy of the gospel, because of the task that we're given. So, the behavior of the of the of the missionary here is one of extreme boldness and also acceptance that whatever comes to them will be okay they will not worry about survival they simply will do the task of god in boldness and then there's exhortation they come with an excitement and an engaging of the heart and they come to people and, and they work on their heart. We, we know that there was something compelling about the message because 
these men were entrusted with the gospel. This indicates both the importance of the message and the importance of the qualification of the people who are giving the message. They're qualified to do it, entrusted with the gospel because they are approved by God. Now we know, don't we, that if uh, if something has a kite mark on it, or it, uh, they were discussing recently about um, the, uh, the 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 royal um, the royal approval, which is signed on certain products in 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 the nation, you know, and HP Source, of course, has the 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 old uh, Queen's um, mark of approval on it, and we know this is a an indicator of quality. The kite mark says that this product has been through many tests. And so, as they exhort, they exhort as enthusiastic, entrusted with the gospel, speakers of the gospel. And this engages the heart, but it also says, we don't wait for approval by people. We only have approval by Men and this comes out in their behaviour as well, because they're uh, they they're not trying to um, they're not trying to flatter people. They're not people pleasing, and they're not seeking glory from people. This is very important. These these negative behaviours that that often are there when somebody's got a platform or when, when they feel themselves to be important or when all eyes are looking to them. It comes out in negative behaviours. No, says Paul, we were entrusted with the gospel. It's a bit like those hobbits in the Fellowship of the Ring and we, we think that Tolkien maybe had an idea of this, uh, that while they are not perfect people, They've been they've been tasked with a great matter, haven't they? Getting the ring to the to the the, the mount of doom or, or or whatever. In this way, Paul says the gospel itself has been entrusted to us, and we have to be uh, approved by God to do this work. And then it comes out. We read in verse seven, in gentle behaviour. He uses a simile. He, he says it, it's, it, it, it's like where your mother and a loving mother who labours and toils. First of all, so that we don't burden you. Financially. So we're not, we're not taking the food from your table. And secondly, we're not bringing trouble to you either. Now, obviously, Jason would have a different opinion about that when the secret police were knocking on his door. But in a sense, Paul is saying, we're, trying, we're being protective of you as a mother would be. And of course, underpinning this is love. So, they have come to a place, we read in verse 8, where they share themselves with the Thessalonians. And again, it's so easy, isn't it? If we, if we think about, you know, pr 
practice that we might have seen in in spreading the gospel we might find that there are you know there's an evangelist with a you know with a, a nice smelling suit and looking very dapper and you know has uh, has all kinds of perhaps trickery or or um or, or, or perhaps all the latest sort of glam goods to, you know, to catch the eye. And the organization behind the evangelist is such that they're not worried about what's going to happen. There'll be protection from, uh, from, from you know, threat and, and harm. And then this evangelist, you can't help thinking, well, is the evangelist talking about us? Is the evangelist talking about Christ? Is the evangelist talking about him or herself? And, you know, here, here are the tests that Paul says, look, we're not this. Not in negative behaviors. We're not in error. We haven't, we haven't dreamed up something that sounds good and, it, and it's a lie. We work on the truth don't please people, we don't flatter with words, and we don't seek glory from men. And there is a purpose to this. So we behaved lovingly for a purpose, says Paul, verses 10 to 12. You're my witnesses. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted, comforted and charged every one of you, See, there's a reason behind each of those. To exhort is to spur on, to say, come on. To engage the heart, to comfort, is to bring peace in times of anxiety. And to charge is to pass on the instructions of God. Look, this is what God demands of us. We should never forget, should we? The greatness of God himself, the gospel, the gospel of God, says Paul in verse uh, 9. It's the gospel of God. And so we exhort and comfort and charge. This is, the, this is the work of the evangelist, the work of the apostle. And why? Because we want you to walk worthy. Think about this for a moment. To bring a gospel, to preach to people in a way that challenges their behavior is not to say everything's wrong with your behavior. You need to behave, you need to be better. No, it's to set a high standard to say this is the gospel of God and our ultimate aim is to please God. And in pleasing God, well, we'll share in the joy of God and the glory of God. There's a high bar set here by Paul, and so he thanks God. He says, you welcomed the gospel. You became imitators of the church in Judea. And of course, the church in Judea was an, exam a, a, an example church to others because... Judea is the place where Jerusalem is, and Jerusalem is the city where Jesus was crucified. The Jews of Judea killed Christ. 
says Paul, and there is a history of the fact that the Judeans probably thought of themselves rather better than the Galileans. And when Jesus came out of Galilee, Galilee, although he was born in Bethlehem, they thought, who is this to challenge us? But by God's grace and by that work of the Holy Spirit, people became Christians. They, they repented. They said, what shall we do? And they repented. They became followers of the way. Uh, they devoted themselves to this apostle's teaching, to prayer, to communion, and to fellowship. And they became an example of the church. And, and the church, we know, had already suffered murder and uh, scattering, persecution, and all kinds of stuff. You, said Paul, became imitators of the church, and you suffered. You faced trouble from your own countrymen. You faced trouble from the Jews, who were both Thessalonians and, and, and also others who had uh, Thessalonians and, and, and others who'd moved in from the Jewish diaspora. You were even forbidden to speak. And Paul says, these people who oppose you, who oppose the gospel of God in Christ Jesus, who in effect were the ones who killed Jesus, well, God's wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And so there is an assurance, says Paul, of a good ending. We want to be with you. We were taken away from you for a short time. We endeavoured eagerly. We tried to get back. We had great desire to get back, says Paul in verse 17. We wanted to, verse 18, but we were prevented from seeing you again. And of course, Paul is talking about himself. He is the one who was prevented. And he, and he attributes that to Satan. And we don't know really how that worked except that where there is growth in the church, there is satanic opposition. But Paul says, above and beyond this, we have a place booked for a meeting together at the coming of Christ. And this is, if you like, what underpins the whole letter that Christ is coming back, that these people, both Paul and the people in uh, Thessalonica, the Christian people who are following the way, were getting ready for Christ's coming again. And that coming again will bring glory and joy. And this that the church itself is a glory and a joy. Now, when you look at tattered hymn books or when you see the age level of the people in the congregation going up or when you think, I don't think anyone speaks that language anymore, it's easy to think that the church is something of the past. 
but the church is God's church. The church is his crowning glory, if you like, here on, here on earth. The church is what is where uh, the fulfillment of Christ's um, death and resurrection is seen and witnessed here on earth. And so glory comes to God when he who calls, he who forgives through Christ, he who gathers is finally reunited with his people. And so we, you and I, can be bold in our God. We can seek to be approved by God. To take on the message of God and to walk worthy of him. The church is birthed in love and it's birthed in truth. The truth that comes from the gospel of Christ and the love that comes from the gospel of Christ. And this gospel is passed on by people who are gospel through and through. In other words, they characterize the love and the truth so that the church itself is a love and truth church. High standards indeed, but so important. And may God give his church grace in these days. And the power of the Holy Spirit to live and act in a way that is pleasing and glorifying to him, that his joy might be full on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.